the scripture reading today is Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his garments as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. And so quickly, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly for the, from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they shall see me. Game changer is the name given to a newly introduced element or factor that changes an existing situation in a significant way. That's a game changer. Literally, um, when I was little, they added a little line around the perimeter in basketball called the three-point line. That significantly changed basketball. It was quite literally a game changer. Military history is filled with game changers. After, at the end of World War II, when the United States became the only nuclear power in the world, that was a game changer for international relations. A more ancient example, the Egyptians were the first to um, design war chariots. And it seems weird to think that like a horse and buggy could do the same thing that nuclear weapons did, but it really did. The war chariot made the ancient Egyptians the dominant world power. It was a game changer. Well, this morning, as we near the end of the Gospel of Matthew, David read for us what was probably the greatest game changer for the Christian faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the question I want to answer this morning. Why is the resurrection of Jesus such a big deal to Christianity? Or is it? I mean, to be Christians, do we really have to believe that Jesus really, like physically, bodily, left that grave? Do we really have to believe that? Is it, is it that important? Well, it is. Now, what I won't be answering this morning, you have to come back next week for this, I won't be answering this question. Is it something I can actually believe? Is there good reason to believe that actually happened? The answer to that is yes. I'm convinced the most logical explanation for what happened was that Jesus rose from the dead. It's, it's what the evidence points to. 
Come back next week and we'll talk about that. For the, this morning, what I want to talk about is why is the resurrection such a big deal to Christianity? If it's true, next week, I'll try to convince you that it's true. But this morning, if the resurrection is true, like, so what? Why, why is that the foundation of our faith? That's what we want to talk about this morning. In order to discuss that, I'm going to have to jump around in the Bible way more than I normally do. I like to take one passage and, and just teach that. But this morning, to answer this question, why is the resurrection of Jesus so important to Christianity? We're going to have to jump around because the first thing I think I need to explain in order to answer that question, why was the resurrection of Jesus so important to Christianity? I think we have to start here with an understanding that the resurrection of Jesus was the message of the early church, of the apostles. The book of Acts happens chronologically right after the gospels close. So where we end here in a, in a couple weeks in the book of Matthew, really the next thing that happens chronologically is picked up in the book of Acts. It's the story, the history book, that details the, the history of the early church. After Jesus was executed, buried, and rose again from the dead, how did the good news spread initially? That's the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And as if you read through the book of Acts, here's what you'll see over and over and over and over. They went around telling people Jesus rose from the dead. That was their message. It was, so why is the resurrection such a big deal to Christianity? Well, we start here. It certainly was a big deal to the original Christians. And I, won't, I don't have time to, to show you every example of this, but I want to show you in the book of Acts that that was the message of the early church. Jesus ain't dead no more. The book of Acts begins with the risen Jesus talking with his disciples. Now he calls them apostles, sent ones. He's talking with them on a hilltop in Jerusalem just before he's going to ascend into heaven before their eyes. And his last words in Acts chapter 1 to his disciples, 11 of them before they, he ascends into heaven, Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses everywhere, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the farthest parts of the earth, even places like Chase County, Nebraska. Added that part, but he was thinking it. The reason we start here is Jesus, what did Jesus tell his original disciples? What did he tell them he wanted them to be? Just in this verse. One word, what was it? Witnesses. What's a witness? Don't think in churchy terms or religious terms, just in English. What does it mean to be a witness? a witness? A witness is someone who sees or experiences something that they can testify actually happened, right? If you're called as a witness in the court, isn't that what you'll be doing there? You saw something. You were there. You have to testify just to what you saw. That's what Jesus wanted these men to be, witnesses. He said it, not me. Witnesses of what? The resurrection. 
We witnessing became a churchy word for evangelism, telling people about Jesus, which is fine. But the original witnesses were just that. You guys witnessed me alive again after I was dead. And as you go through the rest of the book of Acts, this is exactly what happens. Power from the Holy Spirit comes upon the original, uh, the original uh, Christians. And guess what that power gives them the courage to do? Much more than doing any kind of miracles or anything like that. The power that comes upon the original Christians in the book of Acts is the courage to tell people that Jesus ain't dead no more. A few days after this happened, in Acts chapter 2, we read the very first publicly delivered Christian sermon. It was delivered by a guy named Peter. He starts with a scripture reading from the book of Joel, and then Peter says this, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man clearly attested to you to be from God because he did all these powerful deeds and wonders and miraculous signs that God performed among you through him, and you yourselves know this. Verse 23, this man, Jesus, he was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You executed him by nailing him to a cross at the hands of Gentiles. But God raised him up, having released him from the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held in its power. That's the first Christian sermon ever delivered. You know what it was about? The resurrection. The resurrection. A few days after this, Peter and John are preaching. They're telling people about the resurrection. They get arrested because they're telling people about the resurrection. Acts 4.1, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the commander of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John, angry because they were teaching the people and announcing in Jesus resurrection. I'm going to skip a whole bunch of them just to show you that it permeates all the way to the end of the book, though. A guy named Saul of Tarsus got converted because he met the resurrected Jesus. We usually call him the Apostle Paul. Paul got arrested. And toward the end of the book of Acts, Paul's on trial in front of one of the Herods, a guy named Herod Agrippa. The Herods had a long history of hating and killing Christians or trying. The guy that Paul is in trial in front of, Herod Agrippa, his, his granddaddy was the one that tried to kill Jesus when Jesus was a baby by having all, remember the story, all the babies he killed, all, tried to kill all the sons that were born in Bethlehem. That's granddaddy. Um, Herod Agrippa's, uh, man, I wrote this down because I can't keep the Herod straight either. So if you can't keep him straight, you're in good company. Um, Herod's great uncle is the one that beheaded John the Baptist. That was a Herod. And his dad is the one who killed the apostle James and wanted to kill Peter, but an angel let Peter out of prison. And so this is the latest Herod. He's in a long line of Christian haters and Christian killers. And Paul is on trial in front of him. And guess what Paul tells Herod about while he's in trial? He doesn't defend himself. He tells him about the resurrection of Jesus. 
And he says things like this. He tells Herod, the resurrection is the hope and the promise made by God to our fathers. It was the good news all along. And Paul looks at Herod and says, why do you people think it's so unbelievable that God raises the dead? And then Paul, I didn't put it on the screen, but Paul tells Herod the story of how he met Jesus after Jesus had been killed. He met the resurrected Jesus. When this same Paul, when he gives a summary of the gospel, the most succinct summary of the gospel in the New Testament, probably is, in, is found in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's reminding the church in Corinth, when I showed up in Corinth and there weren't any Christians, I told you the gospel. And here's what Paul said the gospel is. Paul said, back then, first time I was in Corinth, I passed on to you as that of first importance, the most important thing. And here it is. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And then he was buried. And then he was raised on the third day, just like the scriptures said would happen. So there's the resurrection. And then listen to all these appearances. And then he appeared to Peter or Cephas. He appeared to the 12 disciples. He appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters, Christians at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. They've passed away. They've fallen asleep. Then the risen Jesus appeared to James, then to all the other apostles. Last of all, as though to one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me also. That's the gospel. The gospel is not merely that Jesus died for our sins, though that's part of the gospel. It's also that he was buried and that he didn't stay dead. He appeared, he appeared, he appeared, he appeared. So, our big question this morning, why is the resurrection so important to Christianity? We haven't answered it yet, but we've established this. It was certainly important to the first Christians. It's the message they kept saying and repeating over and over and over again. But why was that the message? Why was the resurrection so important? Why didn't they just go around saying, Jesus died for your sins? It's true. That's the gospel. The punishment you deserved went on him. And if you believe in him, you will not perish. You'll have eternal life. But they didn't just say that over and over again. They told people Jesus raised from the dead. Why? Why is that the gospel too? Because the resurrection is what proves that everything else that's part of the gospel is true. The resurrection is what proves the truth claims of Christianity are actually true. Every religion in the world has truth claims, has claims of exclusive truth. In other words, every religion has things where the, the religion says, I think this thing is true, the other religions disagree with me. They are wrong. I am right. Every religion has truth claims. Islam says Jesus was a prophet. But Islam says Muhammad is a greater prophet. And so you really have to listen to what Muhammad says in the Quran more than you listen to what Jesus 
says, the greatest prophet is Muhammad. That's a truth claim of Islam. I disagree with that. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they used to call themselves the Mormons, though I don't think they want to be called that anymore. But the Mormons is who that is. They say Joseph Smith was the last, was the greatest prophet of Mormonism. They're still led by a prophet today, but God spoke, according to them, through Joseph Smith, God, and that became the Book of Mormon. And the reason, according to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that you need the Book of Mormon is because, and this is a quote from the Mormon Church, um, so if I'm going to quote it, I guess I better get it, get it correct. There are precious and, here it is, plain and precious things, according to the Mormon Church, have been taken away from the Bible over the years. And so God made sure the Book of Mormon would show up so that you could know the plain and precious things you needed to know that have disappeared from this book. I disagree. Now, who are you going to believe, though? Why? Why do we believe the truth claims of this religion? Well, first, they can't all be right. They just can't. Because every religion claims to have exclusive truth. In other words, this is right and that is wrong. You have a whole bunch of religions that claim that. They can't all be right because they all say the other's wrong. If they can't all be right, why do we believe this one? In a word, resurrection. That's why. The exclusive truth claim, the the exclusive truth claims, nailed it, of Christianity, sort of distilled and boiled down, can still be found in the Apostles' Creed. Now, we don't say that on Sunday mornings. It's not because we disagree with it. There are other, we just don't repeat things over and over again. But the, the exclusive truth claims, twice in a row, of Christianity uh, are things like this. We believe uh, in one God, in three persons. Father is God, Son is God, Holy Spirit is God. Um, we believe that the Son of God was Jesus. He was born of a virgin. He was crucified due to the sins of mankind. He was buried and he rose again. The resurrection. We believe that same Jesus is going to return to earth one day and he is going to judge every person who has ever lived. Not just Christians. Every person who has ever lived. He's going to judge the ones who are alive when he returns, whenever that is. He's going to judge everyone who died previous. We call them the quick and the dead. The basis of that judgment will be this. As far as the judgment for eternal life versus eternal death, what has each individual done with Jesus? Have you believed on Jesus Christ? Jesus said, the one who does not believe in the Son of God has been judged already because he did not believe. The one who believes in the Son of God, there is no judgment because he believed in the Son of God. That's the, the truth claims of, of 
biblical Christianity. Why do we believe this one? Because of resurrection. If every religion can't be true, and you have to decide which set of truth claims would you believe, here's, here's who I'm going with. I'm going with the guy who predicted he was going to be killed, buried, and then he predicted he was going to come back to life, and he actually pulled it off. That's who I'm going to believe. That's what the resurrection is. It's God's statement of authenticity that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Did you notice in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul said Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day? And what did it say again? According to the scriptures. Here's what Paul means. Jesus didn't just make that up. For hundreds of years in the Old Testament, the resurrection had been predicted. A thousand years before Jesus lived, a guy named David wrote this in a psalm, For you will not abandon my soul to the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. David could not have been writing that about himself. You know how I know? Because when David died, they put him in the ground, and guess what happened? Worm food. Decay. Right? He, he, like, he used to compose. He used to be a composer, and then he was a decomposer. Right? Uh, thank you. I'll see myself out. Uh, right? Um, Jesus didn't undergo decay. How do you die but not undergo decay? Resurrection. Isaiah 50, end of 52 and Isaiah chapter 53, I've referenced this a lot during the crucifixion. It is the suffering servant passage, 700-ish years before Jesus was crucified. His crucifixion was clearly predicted. But I'm gonna, we're going to read through this passage again, and I want to point out to you how it was not just Jesus' crucifixion that was predicted, but his resurrection. This is Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 3. About Jesus, 700 years before he lived and died, we read this. He was despised and rejected by people. He was one who experienced pain and was acquainted with illness, or he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. But he lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain. Even though we thought or people thought he was being punished, attacked by God, and afflicted for something he had done. That's not true. Verse 5, he was wounded because of our rebellious deeds. He was crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well because of his wounds we've been healed. All of us had wandered off like sheep. Each of us had strayed off on his own path, but the Lord has caused the sin of us all to attack him. Verse 7, he was treated harshly and afflicted, but he did not even open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughtering block, like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was led away after an unjust trial, but who even cared? Indeed, he was cut off from the land of the living. He was killed because of the rebellion of his own people. He was wounded. Verse 9, they intended to bury him with criminals, but he ended up in a rich man's tomb because he had committed no violent deeds, nor had he spoken deceitfully. The Lord, though the Lord desired to crush him and make him ill. Does that sound like the crucifixion of Jesus I was written 700 years before, but lots of people have been executed. 
how do we know this is about Jesus? Going on. Once restitution is made, he will see descendants and enjoy, what's that say right there? And enjoy a long life. How do dead guys enjoy life? Resurrection. And the Lord's purposes will be accomplished through him. Having suffered, he will reflect on his work. He will be satisfied when he understands what he has done. My servant will acquit many, for he carried their sins. And so here's an inheritance. God says, I will assign him a portion with the multitudes. He will divide the spoils of victory with the powerful, because he willingly submitted to death and was numbered with the rebels when he lifted up the sins of many and intervened on, on their behalf. Dead people don't inherit things. Right? That very clearly says the suffering servant's going to die, and then God says, I'm going to then give him his inheritance because he's going to come back to life. He's going to be resurrected. The resurrection is the proof that everything Jesus said and taught and claimed about himself was true. And that also is the message of the early church. Back in the book of Acts, chapter 17. Here's Paul speaking again in Athens, in Greece. Paul was talking about the judgment which is to come. Here's what he said, Acts 16, 30, 17, 31. God has set a day on which he's going to judge the world in righteousness. Who's going to be the judge of all the world? In the Old Testament, it says Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the judge of all the world. Paul said he's going to use a man whom he designated. How will we know the man? God provided proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. The resurrection is the proof that Jesus is the one. As Paul introduces the book of, opens the book of Romans. Speaking about the gospel, Paul says, the gospel that God promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power. And how would we know it was him? By the resurrection from the dead. According to the spirit of, holy, uh, the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord is the one I'm talking about. What Paul just said is, how, how do we know Jesus is the one? God raised him from the dead. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead, bodily, physically, and appeared to all these people is what lets us know he's the one we're supposed to listen to. That his claims are true. Again, if you're having trouble, if you don't know whether or not you can believe that actually happened, come back next week. You can believe it happened. It happened. But why is it important? Because that's the proof. That's the proof that what Jesus claimed is true. But the resurrection is not just important for the historical basis of our faith. Why is the resurrection important to Christianity? It's important to us right now, today. And now finally, that was all introduction, by the way. That was the longest introduction in the history of introductions. We're going to finally get to today's passage where we're going to see a few reasons why the resurrection is important to Christians today. Besides just the basis, the foundation, the, 
the understanding that what we can believe is true. Oh, Paul also said, I'll skip this. Paul also said, if, if the resurrection isn't true, okay, I'm not going to skip this. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, if the resurrection isn't true, none of the rest of this is true. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile, and your faith is, what's that word? Empty. If the resurrection isn't true, verse 15, we are found to be false witnesses. We don't say false witnesses anymore. What do we say? Liars. Paul says right here, if the resurrection isn't true, we are lying about what we say we witnessed. Because we've testified as witnesses that God raised Christ from the dead. So if we're lying about the resurrection, you should ignore everything else we say. That's how important the resurrection is. Christianity rises or falls based on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, after this, the resurrection isn't true. Christians should be what? What's the word? Pitied. You should feel sorry for everyone who calls himself a Christian and puts their hope in Jesus Christ if the resurrection isn't true. You know why? Because the whole thing's a lie. But it's not. Again, come back next week. We'll talk about why we can know it's not a lie. It really happened. And now what impact does the truth of the resurrection have on us? The same exact impact it had on the very first witnesses of the resurrection. The passage that David read for us, we learn a, a couple things about how, why the resurrection should be important to you and me right now today. The first one is this, the resurrection is the antidote for fear. That first, what we call Easter Sunday morning, we know from the other gospels, those women that went to Jesus' tomb, they wanted to give him the respectful burial he didn't have full time for on Friday. That going back to treat a corpse with respect. That's what they were doing. Instead, they had what can only be considered a terrifying experience. There was an earthquake. There was an aftershock from the earthquake that happened on Friday. The huge stone that Joseph of Arimathea had made sure was rolled in front of the tomb where Jesus was buried. That stone was rolled away. And an angel of God, who looked like white lightning, constant, he's that bright, is sitting on top of that stone. And these women see this. And you want to know how scary that must have been? The guards, these Roman soldiers, were shaken and became like dead men because they were so afraid. They passed out. That earthquake, the stone rolling away, that angel showing up was so scary, Roman soldiers passed out. You ever get so scared you almost passed out? I did one time. Rachel did a surprise birthday party. All these people were hiding in this house. It's the meanest thing she's ever done. And here I go to help my buddy in his empty rental house, and I walk in what I think is an empty house. It's like, and literally, things started to get black in my vision. 
I almost, I almost passed out. These guys full on passed out. To put this in a more modern, just think about this. Here's how scary this, let's say this next Memorial Day, you decide you're going to go to the cemetery out here and dress up someone's grave. And you want to be first, so you go early in the morning while it's still dark. And you get out of your car, and you're walking toward the grave, and all of a sudden, there's an earthquake. And then the coffin of your loved one rumbles to the surface, opens up, and an angel of God comes and sits on that coffin looking like white lightning. Would you be afraid? Because I would need a wardrobe change. I am just telling you. Actually, I'd be passed out like the guards. I already explained that. And here's why I make such a big deal out of how scary that would have been because the angel says something to these women that makes no sense. What does he say? Do not be afraid. Are you nuts, Mr. Angel? Do not be afraid, seriously? But the angel tells them why they shouldn't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here for he has been raised just as he said, come check it out. This place is empty. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Not because this isn't scary, but because the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves what was accomplished on the cross was exactly what he said was going to be accomplished. He, raised, he rose from the dead and that proves to you that your sin went on him and if you believe in him, you will live even though you die. In this little passage, we see how the resurrection should affect believers and also unbelievers. Two kinds of people at the grave that morning, according to Matthew. Unbelieving soldiers and these believing women. The soldiers are so scared they pass out. And you know what? That's completely appropriate. Because Jesus did not just promise that he would be raised from the dead. Jesus did not just promise that believers, those who love Jesus, will be raised from the dead. Jesus promised every single person who has ever lived is going to be resurrected, raised from the dead. Did you know that? But the ones who are raised from the dead and love and believe in Jesus are going to be raised to eternal life. And those who do not believe in Jesus are going to be resurrected and they're going to be cast into eternal conscious torment. For an unbeliever, the resurrection should be horrifying. But for the believer, it's, it's actually the antidote for fear. Now, am I telling you that you should never feel afraid ever again. You're in whole, you should never even understand what fear feels like if you're a Christian after this. No. We see that here too. Because it's the antidote for our fear, but the resurrection is also the basis for our boldness. In verse 7 and 8, the angel tells these women, you don't have to be afraid, and God has something for you women to do. There are some, there's a specific set of people God wants you to go tell that Jesus is alive. Go quickly 
He's been raised from the dead, and and God, the Lord Jesus, wants me, the angel says, to tell you that you're supposed to go and tell the disciples that Jesus is alive again. And so the women are never scared again the rest of their lives. Amen. Is that what it says? No. How do they leave when they go to tell the disciples? They leave with fear and great joy. You want to know how you and I will live as faithful Christians until we go to be with the Lord right here with fear and great joy. The angel says, God's got some people he wants you to introduce to the risen Jesus. Is it scary or not scary? Easy or hard to tell people Christ died for your sins and he rose from the dead to prove that was true. Is it hard or easy to tell people about that? Does it give you joy to think that? That's us. With fear and great joy, we tell people about Jesus. Courage is not the absence of fear. What's courage? It's the ability and the willingness to do what is scary. (laughs) To do what needs to be done, even though circumstances are scary. Last thing. The resurrection, why is it important to Christians? The resurrection proves, it's the proof that people like us can be reconciled to God. A funny thing happens at the end of this passage. I mean, the whole thing is amazing. Okay, stone moves, angel shows up, guards pass out, do not be afraid. And by the way, there's, a, there's an emphasis there. You do not be afraid. It doesn't come across in English, but trust me, it's there. You do not be afraid. They should be afraid, not you. And the angel tells these women to do something. What did the angel tell the women to do? Go and tell the disciples to go to Galilee and Jesus will meet them there, right? So they take off, feeling great joy, and Jesus shows up. In verse 9, and he says, hi there. It's just a standard greeting. And, and he's real, and it's real, and they grab him, and they worship him, and it's awesome. But then look at verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, almost the exact same thing the angel just told these women. Why would Jesus show up and say the same thing that this angel just told him? Did he not trust the angel to do his job? Did he think the the women might miss the angel sitting there like glowing white? No, it's not the same message. There's one very important difference. Jesus tells these women, and he wanted to deliver this personally, go and tell my what? Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they'll see me there. This is Sunday morning. How have the disciples performed since Thursday afternoon? Have they been super Christians since the night Jesus was betrayed? They abandoned him. They were cowards. One, through curses, denied he ever even knew Jesus. They were sinners. You know what happened on the cross? Jesus explained it in the upper room. I'm going to give up my body and my blood so that your sin will be paid for. How do we know that's true? 
Because in the resurrection, Jesus went to those people who had, who had run out on him, who had denied him, who were cowards. And he says, go tell my brothers. Not those losers. Not those failures. He shows up alive to let them know the cross of Jesus Christ was enough to make my enemies my brothers. To make God's enemies his children. That's what the resurrection does. It proves to us that we can be family with God in spite of all of our sins. So to put this all together, why is the resurrection important? Why do we celebrate that once every year? First, it was the foundational message of the early church. Second, it proves that Christianity is true. Third, it's what takes away our fear that lets us know all the pain and hurt and toil of this earth ain't all there is that's going away. And so we can live in this life with fear, but great joy. And we can be bold in telling other people the only hope there is, is the true hope found in Christ alone. Because the resurrection has confirmed to us that people like us can be the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Amen? Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for the resurrection of Jesus Christ because I'm not sure we would know about the cross if you hadn't proved it was true in the resurrection. God, thank you not just for placing the punishment our sins deserve on your son, but for raising him from the dead to take away our fear, to give us boldness, and to let us know this is what we really can believe and trust in. God, give us boldness and courage that the Holy Spirit would come upon us to give us boldness to tell people, come and see. Come and hear. I think everything in the Bible is true. Come with me to church and hear what I'm hearing. Give us boldness to tell people the message of the gospel. That others might come to know that God can be their brother. That they can be adopted sons daughters of the living God. And we have proof that that's true because you raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.